with us today. There's some Bibles in the, in the bottom of the chairs in front of you. Grab a Bible, open up to the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of in the middle of the Bible, more towards the back, uh, a little bit towards the back, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're going to look at chapter 10, and we're going to kind of do an overview of the whole chapter. We've been doing that every week, kind of the, looking at broad things across the whole chapter. So if you did read chapter 10 before today, I'm wondering if you noticed a theme that runs through the chapter. And i got to admit, I've never done a series like this before. In 30 years of pastoring and preaching, every single week of my life, I've, I've preached through book after book after book, but I usually take them, you know, how long does it take us to get through Ephesians? Like three years? Because we take like a word or a phrase at a time and say, what's that mean? Well, this we're trying to do the opposite. We're taking, looking at big picture. And what I've noticed, and it wasn't designed by chapters because, you know, when these were written, when Luke was written, it didn't have chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. But people over time have broke them down that way, and they've done their best to break those chapters down in logical places. And what I've noticed as we've taken the chapter at a time, very often there is a consistent theme that runs through that whole chapter. And chapter 10 is very similar. There is a theme that runs through it, and I want to talk about that theme today. And here's the theme that runs through chapter 10, and I'm going to show you in a minute how it really does run through there. Um, And it's this. How do people find eternal life in Christ? You know, what we talked about today in water baptism is people saying, I'm finding eternal life in Christ, that I want to live my life for Jesus. And when I say yes to Jesus, the Bible says I become spiritually alive, and then that spiritual life, eternal life, begins from the day I say yes to Jesus and never ends throughout all eternity. One day my body will fail, But my eternal life continues on, and the Bible even says that one day my body itself will be resurrected, and and, and I'll live eternally with with the Lord. And And so that begins when I say yes to Jesus. And so chapter 10, Luke is dealing with, how do I come to that? How do I come to the point that these kids are saying they've come to through the teaching of their parents and the teaching of their church? How are they coming to this saying, I want to say yes to Jesus and find eternal life, an unending relationship with God through Jesus, his son? How does someone have a life where they are in a right relationship with Jesus now and are assured that they have eternal future with God for all of eternity, all the days that there ever could be? Well, let me show you how that is the theme that's woven through this chapter, through chapter 10. And then we're going to look at some particulars that are really important that Luke points out pertaining to this theme, this idea of finding eternal life. So just kind of briefly, I'm going to as quick as possible go through most of the chapter to show you this theme is repeated over and over and over. Different wording, but the same theme over and over and over. So chapter 10 starts off, with the story of Jesus selecting 70 of his disciples, his followers, and he gives them a job to do. He says, I want you to go off into all the cities that he will be shortly going to minister in. So Jesus sends them out in pairs, and they're going to go out, and he's going to eventually, pretty soon, go himself to preach and to minister and to heal in those towns. But he sends them out first, and um, he tells them very specifically, when you go to those towns, I want you to Teach them, preach to them about the kingdom of God coming. Um, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cast out demons and say, well, that seems kind of strange, casting out demons. Well, well, when the kingdom of God comes in power, the enemy, Satan and his forces, flee because establishment of the power and kingdom. So we see in the New Testament, when Jesus comes in, we see all these manifestations of this ugly spiritual stuff. 
So he says, go in there and heal the sick, preach the gospel, the good news, cast out demons. And in verse 2, as he's giving them directions for that, he says this about the task they're going to do. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech or ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me ask you a question. Is he talking about harvesting corn here? You know, is he talking about harvesting soybeans or wheat or whatever they would have grown back in those days? No. What is the harvest that he's talking about? What is being harvested? He says there's not many people who are willing to go out in the fields and do the labor of bringing the harvest in, but there's this great big harvest. He's saying pray that more harvesters will go out. Well, what's the harvest they're collecting? It's people. It's helping people come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's leading people into the kingdom of God. He's talking about this idea of of salvation, of people coming to know God as their personal Savior and Lord. So the 70, it says in chapter 10, go out and they preach and they heal and they cast out demons and they have great results. And let's look at the results. Starting in verse 17 to verse 20, it talks about the results that the 70 had when they went out doing what Jesus told them to do. And it says, verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching, Jesus talking, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Verse 19, behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So these 70 people, they're men, um, they're his disciples, are ecstatic. They come back. They went out and they preached and they ministered as they had been watching Jesus do as they walked with him. And it says, even the demons had to flee in his name. And they're, they're amazed. And you know what? That was great. It was wonderful. But look what Jesus, look at Jesus' commentary on it. What did Jesus point out to them about the experience? Look at verse 20. He said, yeah, 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 that's wonderful that that all happened. And he told them to do it, so he was glad about it. But he says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, that wild spiritual things are happening, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, there's a theme again. He started off saying, you're going to harvest, reaching people for eternal life. He starts a chapter off talking about bringing in the harvest. Now he talks about um, the most important thing is having your name recorded in heaven. Another way of saying you're harvested or you're, you're in a right relationship with God or one of the terms the Bible uses, you're saved. You're spiritually saved. So it's saying, you know what? Um, here's the, that theme again of this idea of coming in a right relationship with God. Then in chapter 10, Luke moves on to Jesus' prayer to his heavenly Father because he's happy about his followers having a successful ministry. Look at his prayer here in verses 21 to 24 and look at the theme again. And that very time, he rejoiced, this is Jesus, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and he said this in his prayer. I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes, so in other words, your eyes, which see the things which you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Look what he's praying about. What's the theme that he's praying about? He's praying about how people come to know who he is. I thank you that this has been revealed to them. He's praying, thank you, God, that people have had a revelation of who he is and how they could be in a right relationship with Jesus. And we're going to come back to this idea of revelation in a few minutes. But the theme is the same. People coming into relationship with Jesus, coming into relationship with God the Father. The theme continues. But then it goes on. Because then what happens in in Luke 10 is after this happens and 70 are sent out and they're rejoicing and Jesus is praying, this lawyer is there, an expert in the Jewish law. When we take lawyer in the scripture, it's not talking about lawyer in the way that we think. Somebody who goes to court and fights a court battle. Lawyer here means an expert in the Jewish law. They were a religious person who understood the Old Testament. And then this lawyer, this expert in Jewish law, asks Jesus a question. So what's the question that he asks? How do I get eternal life? How can I be in a right relationship with God? The theme continues. Look at verse 25. The lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, the harvest, you talk about harvest, and people having their names written in heaven, and what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law in the Old Testament? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. In other words, you'll have eternal life. Verse 29, But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to know how to have eternal life. Life eternally lived with God. So so Jesus asks him, okay, you're an expert in the Old Testament law. What's it say? You know, and he gives Jesus a really good answer. And Jesus says, hey, you got it right. Let me add something to it. Now... Go and do it. Go and do it. And that makes the lawyer backpuddle. Makes him, it says, it says this word in a, in a New American Standard Version. It says it made him justify himself. Because he's thinking, he gives this right answer, and Jesus says, okay, that's the right answer. Then go ahead and do it. But obviously, he knows in his own mind, he knows in his own heart, he hasn't loved Everybody around him, his neighbors, as himself, because no one has. He hasn't loved God of all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. No one can do that perfectly. So he says, to justify himself, well, who really is my neighbor anyways? And Jesus answers the question with a story. It's a story that most of you are familiar with, the story of the Good Samaritan. Look at this story that Jesus answers his question. You know, how, how, how far does it have to go that I have to actually love everybody if that's what I have to do? to show my relationship with God. And he says this, this is how Jesus answers. Jesus replies and said, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among some robbers, and they stripped him and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So there's a Jewish man laying there wounded, because he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He would have been a Jewish man. A Jewish priest comes by, sees him, doesn't help, passes by the other side. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite, who's also a Jewish religious leader, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, this wounded man, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and understand, a Samaritan is an arch enemy of a Jew, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, a donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, which would be two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will, when I return, I'll repay you. And Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said to him, Well, then go and do the same. Now, that's the big picture that, Jesus, that Luke is painting in chapter 10. Now, with that big t- picture, with this theme of finding eternal life running through it, there are three things that I think Luke is really trying to stand out to us that we can find in this chapter to help us better understand this idea how we come into eternal life and, and what that looks like. This theme he's, he's hitting on over and over in all these different stories. And here's the three truths, the three things, and I'm going to just tell you what they are, and then we're going to explain them over the next few minutes. We're going to, he's going to show us a truth about eternal life, and I'll, I'll repeat these as we get into them. A truth about eternal life. He's going to tell them a warning about being deceived about eternal life. And he's going to give them a test and give us a test for personal evaluation pertaining to eternal life. So let's look at what he says here about a truth about eternal life. And this is the truth. Eternal life, get this, eternal life results from a right response to a revelation of God himself to a person. Let me repeat that. Eternal life is the result, or results from, begins, we could say, begins where there is a right response to a revelation, and I'm going to explain that, a revelation of God himself into a person's life. Look back at the prayer that Jesus prayed in verses 21 through 24. I'm going to reread those. And I want you to do something as I reread those. As I read through this, I want you to look for this idea of truth being revealed or truth being not revealed, being hidden. This idea of truth being revealed, and just pay attention to it in what Jesus says here. Starting in verse 21, he says, At that very time... Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to 
reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. So, Jesus is talking about how someone comes to really know God, Jesus, as Savior. That's, remember, that's the overriding theme. He's talking about how they really come to know that. And what he talks about in this prayer is that he says it's a matter of revelation. It's a matter of God revealing truth about himself to a person. And then that person responding to that truth. Verse 22 says, the Son, Jesus, reveals himself and reveals the Father. It's about revealing something. Something was not known and then becomes known to you. It's a revelation to you. It's an aha moment. It's an epiphany to you. That's the the idea here. He says the disciples are blessed because they get to see this revelation, to understand this revelation. And he says that many of the prophets, verse 23, many of the other people, prophets and kings, wish they had this revelation, but they never did. What he's getting at here is that coming to know Jesus, to know God, is a matter of revelation. It's about God making himself known to you. You know what it's never about? Me convincing you of something. That's why when church, when we oftentimes end our services and we say, you know what, some of you in here right now, something's going on inside your life and, and God is talking to you and I want to give you a chance to respond to it. I never say, here, let me convince you something's true. What I say is, God's doing something in your heart. Let me help you identify that. And if you're ready to respond, let me help you respond to what God is doing. That's what he's talking about here. That coming into a right relationship with God is a matter of responding to revelation and that God himself is in the business of revealing himself to mankind. Have you ever wondered why, if this is true about you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have you ever wondered why, when you heard about Jesus, you responded while other people heard the same thing and didn't? Have you ever wondered about that? I do. Here's what I know about what, what, what Luke is writing about here. He's quoting Jesus. That somehow you began to grasp the truth of the revelation of God that he was revealing into your life. You began to understand somehow, and I can't explain why, but here's the deal. It was a revelation. It wasn't just knowledge because you weren't just both hearing the same knowledge because if you just both heard, you and another person heard the same facts, then it would be, you know, if I said this, here, you know, me and Elias. Elias, here's the deal. Right now, in five minutes, the, the church is going to blow up. It's a fact. We would both run out the door, right? Because it's the fact. And we'd grab our wives and our kids and we'd get them out the door and rescue. Why? Because it's a fact. But people can hear facts and not respond. Because what's going on here is that God's in the business of revealing himself to people. And somehow... By the grace of God, you begin to grasp that revelation, the revelation that God really is real when the person next to you thinks he's not. That Jesus really is the Son of God when when somebody else debates the fact, when when I I need to be rescued from my sin, when you're sitting in the bathtub and you go, I need to be baptized. Why is that? It's 
responding to a revelation of God by his spirit. When you recognize, I need to be saved, and you're a little kid saying, oh, I need to turn from my horrible life. You're going, you haven't done anything, which is true. But they recognize there's sin, and there's guilt, and there's reality, and there's forgiveness that's necessary, and that I need God. That's revelation. That's not just knowledge. Yes, truth is part of it, but it's truth being revealed to the heart of a person. That is a process of revelation. It's about God reaching out to humankind. He's reaching out to you and to me and helping us come to know him. And eternal life begins when someone says yes to that revelation. When they say, I need what you are making known to me. You can still resist it. You can still deny it. You can still run from it. But, it's, it's, but the starting point is when you say yes. I don't want to deny it. I don't want to resist it. I don't want to run from it. I don't want to deny you. I don't want to resist you. I don't want to run from you, Jesus, because you're making yourself known to me. And this is why Luke points out here, quoting Jesus, that this revelation and responding to revelation, that it's not based on being wise or intelligent. You think, what, you wonder why he says it in verse 21? He says, you know, Lord in heaven, you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Is he talking a little about babies here? No. He's saying it's not about wisdom. It's not about intelligence. Rather, it's about having childlike faith to say yes to the revelation of God. That God says, I'm making myself known to you. I am God. Jesus is the Son of God. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is, there, is a, there is a life in Christ. There is eternal life. And you say, yes, it's revealed to me. I want to receive that. Having that simple faith in the truth that's being revealed to you from the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Luke is showing us that eternal life, um, being in a right relationship with God, begins... When we say yes to God reaching out to us, God revealing himself to us, that feeling inside that is drawing you to Jesus, that's the revelation of God. Now, some of you may be in this place today or at a point where you have begun to see who Jesus is. You're starting to understand that he loves you and he's calling you and that he really is the son of God and he wants a relationship with you. He's re- what that is, is he's revealing himself to you. You say this, a lady said this to me a couple weeks ago in church, and she was brand new here, never been in, maybe not been in church in most of her life, and she said, what am I feeling? After church, she was crying, and I went and talked to her. She was sitting in a chair, and I went up to her, and she was crying, and I said, I said, what's up? She goes, what am I feeling? What am I experiencing? I said, it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's a revelation of God's revelation. That's why it's so important A person doesn't have to come into a church to come know Jesus. But here's been my experience. If there's someone I love and I want them to know Jesus, the most effective thing I can do after praying for them and living a godly life before them is get them into a church service with other people who love Jesus. And you know why? Because there's something in the atmosphere. There's something of the presence of God when we meet. Somebody showed me a picture this morning of our last week's service with... uh, with with um, our Special Touch ministry that was here, talking about ministry to handicapped people. And they said the people from Special Touch said when they were here, they travel all over the place. They said, there was just this reality of the presence of God when we went into Portview Church. They said, we felt something real. Friends, that's why you bring someone you love 
That's why it's more important to be in church than at the lake or the beach or at a sporting event or soccer or anything else. Because it just might be the day your child gets it. They, they feel that thing. So some of you in here might today be saying, I'm feeling something that this is for me. That's not me. I'm not good enough to convince you of that. I'm not trying to convince you of that. That is a revelation of God himself into your, into your heart. And, and eternal life begins when you accept that and you say yes to Jesus. And you could do that today. You could say yes to Jesus today. Matter of fact, at the end of our service, I'll give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. Now, Luke does not end um, in chapter 10 with this. He just begins there, and I'm going to fly through the next two points as fast as I can. So the next thing he does in chapter 10 is he gives a warning about being deceived pertaining to eternal life. And this is the warning. He says basically this, you can have a right religious answer, all the right religious answers, and a wrong heart and not really be in a right relationship with God. See, that's what was going on with the lawyer that Jesus meets on that day. This guy has all the right answers. He says, if you love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying that would reveal a right relationship with God, reveal that at some point you had said yes to God as Savior and Lord, and you're living with him. So the lawyer has the right answer. He knew the right religious answers, but his heart was wrong. He didn't have eternal life. He didn't have a right heart. And you say, well, Mark, how in the world do you know that? It's because of the answer that he gives when Jesus says that's right. He, what's he do? He begins to backpedal. Knowing that he hasn't loved God perfectly and he hasn't loved his neighbor as himself. He hasn't done everything for every neighbor that he wished was done for him. When they were hungry, he didn't take, take every night take this meal to them. He knows he didn't do that. No one has, no, has done that. Knowing that he hasn't done that, no one ever has. Since that's the problem with just trying to come to God through keeping rules, keeping laws, and just being religious. It never works. We can't work hard enough to save ourselves. That's why we need a savior, someone to rescue us. But this guy, this lawyer, didn't want to submit to that. And he thought, you know what? I can be good enough by just keeping the rules well enough. I can earn a right relationship with God. I'll just do it right. I'll just do my religious stuff well. And Jesus exposes the error by saying, okay, then do it. Go ahead. Love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And what happens? The guy goes, uh, I can't do that. So he tries to do something to kind of do an end round. He says, you know what? I'm going to try to narrow down who my neighbor is. Because if I could make my, the group of my neighbors so small that maybe I could succeed in just loving them as myself. If my neighbor, if I live out in the middle of the desert and no one lives near me, maybe then I could be, say I'm loving my neighbor as myself because I got no neighbors around me. There's only one person maybe. So he says, who is my neighbor? Luke is exposing this deception of his thinking. He doesn't want us to be deceived believing that somehow we could have eternal life by keeping a list of religious do's and don'ts. So Jesus tells a story that basically says this in the story, the story of the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is everyone, including your enemies. Because that's why he talks about the Samaritans and the scribes and the, the, scribes and the, and the lawyers, because he's saying these are religious people. And he said he brings out the worst two enemies and he puts them in the same story. He said, yeah, 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 I love everybody. Just like a Samaritan would love a Jew. And he's going, well, that would never happen. 
he was telling the lawyer, you can't work hard enough to accomplish this. Salvation doesn't come through religious effort. It comes by responding to the revelation that Jesus loves you and is calling you to be his follower. It's about, as we talked about with baptism, it's about dying to your old life where you are God and God is not and saying, God, in this person of Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and you to be my Savior and I'm going to follow you now. Now it's in this story about the Good Samaritan that Luke gives another truth about eternal life. He gives a personal test to evaluate our hearts. And this is it. So he says, okay, lawyer, you're doing it wrong. It doesn't work that way. You can't do it through self-effort. You can't just narrow down who your neighbor is so that it doesn't apply to anybody else. He says, I'll give you a test to show you the truth of the reality of the condition of your heart. He gives this personal test, and it's this. He basically says, a right relationship with God, because that's what the whole theme was, right? Coming into a right relationship with God, the whole thing. A right relationship with God or loving God always results in a right relationship with other people, loving other people. Look at the progression of thinking in chapter 10. Here's how it goes. could break the whole chapter down like this. We come to eternal life by responding positively to the revelation of Jesus to our lives. But we can't stop short by just settling for keeping a bunch of rules and regulations like the lawyer did. And now we can even evaluate the condition of our heart to see if it reveals that we're in a right relationship with God And the way we can evaluate our heart is to look at how we love other people. Remember that he is um, addressing the area that the lawyer was wrong in. The story of the Good Samaritan is challenging how we love all people. And in the story, the good religious Jewish priest and Levite walked right past a hurting Jewish man, but the Samaritan, the Jew's enemy, stopped to help. Now let me tell you what Jesus isn't saying here. He's not saying someone finds eternal life by being good to his enemy. Rather, Jesus is saying is that the fact that someone would love their enemy is evidence that God's presence is in their life. The order is important. Loving difficult people isn't natural. Don't any of you look at your spouse right now. You could look at your teenage child, maybe. (laughs) Loving difficult people isn't natural. Loving your enemy, you don't have an enemy. Yes, anybody who's opposed to you in this context would mean your enemy. It doesn't mean you're at war with them shooting bullets. It means anybody who's opposed to you and you're opposed to them, loving them, that is not natural. I would say this, it is supernatural. It is beyond natural. It is a result of the internal transformation that takes place in a life when Jesus is resident within a person's life because they said yes to the revelation of who Jesus is and said, Jesus, come into my life and make me like you. That's why we can, this can be a useful self-evaluation. We can ask, is Jesus in me changing my heart toward others? Where once I was full of anger and hatred and unforgiveness, is it now replaced by love and forgiveness and unity toward other people? See, if we are in Christ, then his reality begins to transform our reality from the inside out. It's a process. 
Sometimes it's a very slow process, but it's a gradual, continual change into the likeness of Jesus. So we can ask, am I more loving today than I was a year ago? That's the point Jesus is making here. Am I more loving today than I was a year ago? Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Remember, we dealt with it. You can't be perfect. We dealt with that with the lawyer. But am I, am I improving? Am I getting better? An honest yes to that helps us see the reality of the presence of Jesus in our lives today. Then, friends, that's what eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So if you can look at your life and say, I see evidence, and hear the evidence of a changed heart towards people that would at one time be my enemy, that a changed heart reveals that the lawyer didn't have. The lawyer wouldn't have helped, but the Samaritan would. Why? He's saying this, your heart needs to be changed. He said he had compassion. His heart was changed. And if we have the evidence of a changed heart, he's saying that is evidence of saying yes to Jesus. That's evidence of saying, you know what? Um, when I felt that, that revelation, I felt that nudging, that inside, internal thing inside of me that says, I need Jesus in my life and I'll stop at nothing. I don't care what people think. I'm not worried about being embarrassed. I will stop at nothing. I want to respond to that revelation. And when we do that and we walk with him, he begins to change us from the inside out. And he's pointing out here, and one of the ways you'll see the change is that when you're walking down the street and you see your enemy, whatever that situation might look like, and instead of what you would have done in the past is walk by the other side, you know, no concern of mine, now you pull the car over. And your spouse says, or your, what are you doing? I just think I'm supposed to stop. Why? You don't know them? We're in a hurry. Yeah, but something inside of me is saying, go talk to that person. Go help that person. Make a meal for that person volunteer to babysit for those people's children. Ask that person to come to church with you. Whatever that may be, why do you do it? Because Jesus has changed you from the inside out. He's dwelling in you. You've said yes to the revelation of God. And he's inside of you now. He's in your heart. It says we get the mind of Christ. We begin to see the world, think about the world the way he does. And he's saying, listen, the story of the Good Samaritan shows you how you can know there's some, some reality to what's going on. Eternal life is knowing Jesus and loving Jesus, God loving others is the greatest revelation that that is true. So maybe the best thing we could do as we end today is to simply ask the Holy Spirit to help us see the truth about ourselves. You know, it's not about perfection, but God is their evidence of Jesus' transformation inside of my life? Am I becoming more loving? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I more like the good Samaritan or more like the, the Jewish priest? Where am I at? And maybe you're here today and all this talk about finding eternal life in Jesus is stirring something up inside your soul. What is that? We said it's the revelation of God God, by his spirit, is making himself known to you. And he's saying, you know what? I want you to say yes to me. I want you to say, I want you to be my Savior, God. I want you to, be, to, to wash away my sins, to make me brand new, to forgive me, 
of this past life, and I want to live from this day forward, although I'll not be perfect, this day forward with you as my Lord and you as my Savior, I want to live with you and follow you. Responding to that revelation. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Lord, I thank you that people knowing you and people growing in you is not the result of something that I or any other minister does or any church does. Yes, you use us, churches, to teach and to explain and to teach and help people be baptized and all that wonderful stuff. But Lord, what we see in Luke chapter 11, that it's all about you doing work in us. It's the revelation of your truth into our lives. And Lord, as we're in this quiet moment at the end of this service, a wonderful day of celebrating water baptisms and a wonderful day of understanding your word, I just wonder if there are people in this very room that would honestly say, something is going on inside of me that, that says to me somehow that I need the Lord. I need Jesus, and I'm honest with myself. I'm not really living in a way that my life does not show, and I'm not, I don't have the value system that says that, that he is Lord. Rather, in fact, more kind of I'm Lord of my own life, and maybe, it, maybe I've been looking to religion to do it, but now I recognize today that I can't just keep a bunch of rules that won't get me there. I need to respond in my heart and say yes and, and, and welcome Jesus into my life. That's you today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're not looking around having a private moment because it's just between you and God. Because the revelation is not coming from a pastor. The revelation is not coming from anybody else. The revelation of the truth of God is the Spirit speaking into your soul right now. or six different people saying I want to say yes to Jesus today and those of you who said I want to respond I want you to join us in this prayer and I, I promise you it's not about religious words because there are no perfect religious words we don't want 